He missed out on the Bakelite patent by one day. I continue to think about what is the opportunity. I know what all your buyers want. They all want the same thing. Collaborating to cultivate that new framework. I'm Richard Gerhardt. And I'm Elizabeth Gerhardt. Welcome to Passage to Profit, the show that's all about entrepreneurism, small businesses, and the intellectual property that makes it happen. You have just heard some snippets from our show tonight, and the whole show was totally amazing. Stay tuned and listen to the rest of it. We had incredible people. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Let me ask you, what is the most important invention of the last century? I would have to say the computer, personal computer. See, I knew you were going to say that, but it's not. You, but the thing is, is you couldn't have a computer without this material, right? Ah, well, so we'll find gonna, out what that is. We're going to be talking about plastic. With us tonight are Hugh Carricker and John Marr, who have produced a video about Bakelite. It's really a documentary about how Bakelite was the first plastic, the first synthetic material. And it's really a wonderful video. So if you get a chance to watch it, you should. And then as our executive spotlight, we have Taj Adaf, who's going to be talking about lease cake. And if you're wondering what lease cake is, you're going to have to stay tuned and hear about it. And then we have two incredible presenters. Honestly, have you ever walked into someone's house and gone, oh my gosh, this looks like something out of House Beautiful. How did they do that? Well, Cindy did it. <laughs> so, so she'll be telling you all about that. And then we have Matt Strandberg. He takes a holistic approach to helping you live your best life possible. And how does he do that? He'll tell us how. Boy, I'd sure like to learn how to do that. But before we get to our guests, we have IP in the news. And so what are we going to be talking about today? Well, we kind of have a theme going with plastic. So one of the things that people complain about with plastic is it sticks around forever. But there have been many methods to recycle it. And a patent was just issued last month, I think, or maybe in June 2021 for a new method of recycling plastic and making it into a fuel. And what's interesting about this patent is that they use a method of cracking, which is similar to how they create petroleum products. And they crack the plastic and they use that to create fuel. So obviously there's more energy that has to be put into the process than you get out, but at least you get some energy out in the form of a liquid fuel. The other thing is that they're using a catalyst for this. So a lot of chemical reactions actions that wouldn't go or would go extremely slowly are speeded up by using a catalyst. So that is probably part of what they have patented. It's really a neat idea. So it's taking a waste product and turning it into fuel. Why don't we go to Richard's roundtable? John, what are your thoughts? I think one of the big questions today is how do we get control of this plastic monster? I think plastic is wonderful in most applications, but the single use plastic thing is out of control. That's a good point. And as you can see, there's innovation around trying to solve that problem with this patent that was recently issued. So hopefully, you know, people are so innovative, we'll come up with even better and better ways to recycle the plastic and make it repurpose for something else. Yeah, but how about we stop making certain things out of plastic? I'm okay with that. Is the industry okay with that? Absolutely not. <laughs> They make a lot of money for plastic. It takes two to tango. It's the customer and the uh, corporate folks. Yeah, they want to put money in their pocket, but we're going to be up to here with this stuff. We are already. We got to talk about this. Absolutely. Great point. Hugh, do you have any comment? I'd like to throw it back on my grandfather as he invented this stuff. And my feeling about it is that if he were alive today, he would be working on a solution to the plastic problem. Based on what I saw in the documentary, it sounds like that would be very consistent with your grandfather's thinking. There was some footage there that talked about this issue and some of the things that they're trying to do to improve the recyclability of certain types of plastics. So, I have another Taj? thought about plastics. I'm an autism advocate. I have a son that had uh, severe autism. He was born in 1989 and one in 10,000 kids were being diagnosed with autism. Now it's one in 50, and in New Jersey, it's one in 32 kids are being diagnosed with autism. And people ask me all the time, what is causing that? And I don't have an answer, but I look at things 
you know, in my mom's generation, nobody had it. And now in this generation, so many kids have it. And so I look at what has changed over all the time, you know, and I look at what are we eating? What are we ingesting? You know, I remember when microwaves were invented and look at all the GMO foods and all the chemicals that are in everything. And I have to wonder what's happening genetically to my generation that's giving birth to these children. I'm not saying I'm blaming plastics, but I'm just saying I'm looking at what type of chemicals have entered our bodies over the past 50 years that's causing change in our bodies. That's a very good point. And I have a theory. on it. Mm-hmm. So my theory is it's the arsenic in the baby food because we started using arsenic as insect killer years ago, and it got into the water and it got into the rice. And if you measure the level of arsenic in rice baby food, it's way too high. And so I do think that there is some sort of chemical imbalance in the world that is causing this. Yeah, that's interesting. Tosh, do you have a comment? Yeah. So I think you hit on it right. With great power comes great responsibility. I think anyone that has this amazing idea that transforms societies, transforms the world, you know, whether it's plastics, whether it's social media, computers, cell phones, without question, it has changed. But there is this natural kind of pendulum, right, where you need to have checks and balances. And I think with innovation and entrepreneurship and people that create these problems, quote unquote, should also look for potential solutions and really try to step back. But I think it really speaks to the spirit of entrepreneurship, whether it's this new patent that you all are talking about when you look at what's happened with social media, then you look at the pendulum swinging to privacy and and what's Apple doing around that. I think it really comes down to it's all upon us to figure out what the problems are that we want to attack and decide to find a technology solution, a chemical solution, and put forth a patent that can kind of bring everything back in line. I mean, it's it's an incredible dynamic. It's really one of the strengths of of our system here in the US, but I think even globally. Well, we got to figure out, I think, are are we in an economy or a society? If this is an economy, then it's just all about stuff and money in our pockets, which appears to be what's going on right now. If we are a society, We have to think about what's good for everyone, not just the folks that have the power to just pump out products without thinking about the result. I would also point out that part of the reason for having an economy is to maintain our culture and our way of life. And having an economy gives us an advantage on the world stage, which the U.S. has enjoyed for a long time. Ultimately, that leads to a safer country, but at what cost? Matt? I think this is uh, a really important issue and actually very much epitomizes a lot of the situations that we find ourselves in today, which is that we are facing a lot of extremely complex problems. And I think how this relates to intellectual property and entrepreneurship is in the past, uh, people have often thought of the entrepreneur as the mythic individual, but any entrepreneur here knows that you really only are as strong as your team and that in order to tackle complex problems, You need to work together as a team to address this from various angles and various perspectives. And I think, you know, in relation to intellectual property, you can have a really great idea. And at the same time, you learn throughout that process, wow, there's actually lots of steps uh, required to take that idea from, you know, a figment of the imagination and then kind of making that into a concept and then manifesting that into a material process and the intellectual property Uh, component is just one part of many. So it's really great to expand your network as an entrepreneur and work together because uh, what you begin to realize is there's so many different components of that process to make your dream a reality. And I think this topic right here presents the intersection of all those various components. That's my viewpoint in the relation to what this has to offer. Passage Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt on WOR 710, the voice of New York. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gerhardt Law to protect your ideas with premier patent trademark and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearHeartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, 
contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I have to be a little bit honest with our audience this evening because I'm a chemist. My wife is a chemist. We were both mm-hmm. trained as chemists before we got into the whole intellectual property thing. And I'm kind of a plastics nut. I spent a lot of time working for companies that made plastics. And so I have that point of view. But I was really wondering, is this something that our audience is going to get excited about? Well, it turns out that if you watch the documentary that our guests created, it's well worth your time. Very interesting. And not just because of the chemistry part. There's a few chemistry parts in there. But for example, an interviewer walks around and asks people, well, what is bake light? And you should have heard some of the answers that we're giving. It's hilarious. And we're living in an age now where plastic is so ubiquitous and so taken for granted, we forget that somebody had to invent this. So Our guests this evening, Hugh Carracker and John Marr, are the producers of a video, All Things Bakelite, The Age of Plastics, and they're here to tell us about it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the video and what inspired you to make it? Off the bat, my mother wanted to write a biography about her grandfather, and she never got to it. So she had all his journals and diaries and papers and photographs. And when she passed away, she gave them to me. So I had to do something with them. I decided to make a movie and I found John Marr and we went and did a movie. So Hugh, you're actually related to the man who invented Bakelite, which is the My first My mother plastic. was his granddaughter. That's great. Yeah. yeah, it was the first synthetic material ever created. Yes. John, what's it like to make a documentary like this? I think the first thing is the dance of the tarantulas. The early relationship you have with somebody that you're going to be working with very intensely, very intimately for a long time on a lot of elements. So the beginning is really getting to know your uh, your business partner, so to speak. And I think you guys could all relate to this. I call it the dance of the tarantulas. I think you was looking at me and I was looking at him. Are we... Are we honorable people? Are we competent? Are we, how crazy are we? Are we just crazy enough? Do we have the resources to do this? And are we thinking along the same line? So I was actually making another film, another documentary, and I needed some dancers. And you and Sherry Carriker are terrific dancers. So that's how I met Hugh. And I think after that, he was spying on me for a while in terms of how well I work with my crew and my committee and all this stuff in making a couple of other history films. And then he invited me into the world of Bakelite. This is my 23rd film, and I think it's my eighth or ninth documentary, depending on how you count it. I have a great crew, a wonderful editor, Craig McKeterian, Marty Fiji, all original music and people I've worked with, I hate to say it, but in some cases, 35 years. It's fun to have a little film family together together for that period of time and do, I think, what we like to think is good work along the way. The film's available in five languages on iTunes, Apple TV+, Google Play, YouTube, and Voodoo Domestic. So it's out there and you can always find about the film on allthingsbakelite.com. Reminds me of that line from The Graduate, right? There's a great future in plastics. What do you think about it? Right. right. ask you guys, so who holds the patent on Bakelite? There's a company called Synthetics, Bakelite Synthetics, and I'm in contact with them. They hold the trademark. The patent is long gone, but the trademark is owned by this one company. John, can you tell us the story about the patent? Talk about uh, Saved at the Nick of Time. To get this right, LHB filed the British Bakelite patent on February 18th of 1907. And uh, James Swinburne in England, he had something so similar to Bakelite. He filed his patent the next day, February 19th. And so he missed out on the Bakelite patent by one day. 
Leo Baiklin defined his process in the patents very, very carefully and very completely. So it was very hard to get around his Bakelite patent. It's fascinating to me as an intellectual property professional that people were licensing intellectual property since the turn of the 19th century. You know, that's really, I think, what has made this country flourish a lot is we have so many innovative people in a strong patent system. Fantastic discussion. We'll be right back. Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gerhardt Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gerhardt Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without Calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We're just having the time of our lives. If you could hear what we were just talking about, I think you'd almost prefer that to the show. But anyway, um, coming up next, we have Taj Adav from Lease Cake and Taj May a donation to action against hunger even though least cake doesn't have any real cake <laughs> so thank you for the donation so, to action against hunger so taj after you tell us what least cake is all about you have to tell us why you chose that name yes yeah so least cake is the operating system for lease and location management we make the commercial real estate management of locations easier for commercial tenants. What does that really mean? (laughs) Here's the problem that I encountered probably about five, six years ago. My background, I was a CPA for 15 years. I worked with Disney as an Imagineer, a couple billion dollars in commercial projects and helped launch a small tech company that, you know, over 12 years exited to Google. So I have this sense of like lots of different things were working in my head. It feels like I've been training for this all my life. So what happened six years ago at a diner over a cup of coffee with a friend of mine, he was managing a commercial real estate portfolio with 50 tenants and nine buildings. Frankly, I was out of a job. I was just always looking to network and see kind of what was around the corner. And he said that I'm losing track of things. I'm forgetting renewal options and lease expirations for all of my tenants in my buildings. And I said, well, Jim, he's now our co-founder, by the way, I said, wait a second. So it's just dates and dollars and reminders, you know, what's going on? And he said, well, there's spreadsheets, there's Dropbox and there's post-it notes and calendar alerts, but none of those are really connected in a way that solves my problem. So I was frankly surprised. I said, I can't believe this, right? You know, this is probably what, 2015. And I said, an app doesn't exist, right? Everybody in commercial real estate. Isn't there any, an everybody in everything? Bus- yeah. <laughs> I know, right, exactly. Everybody in business you know, owns or leases commercial real estate, right? Where's the app for that? And so it just kind of stuck in my head and I'm very much entrepreneurial driven, but it's not just about dreaming ideas and saying, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? It was really based on a series of questions that I kept asking them. Two years went by and I just started to keep thinking about lease management should be easy. My parents were commercial tenants for 10 years. You know, he was a landlord, but my parents were commercial tenants. And and I saw their journey, right? Growing up, they built a laser component company. They moved uh, here to central Florida. They bought a building. They became landlords overnight. They built their own building. Some of their products went up on the space shuttle, believe it or not. You know, they put their kids through college. So with kind of both sides, I continue to think about what is the opportunity. And I got fortunately invited to a Techstars Global Startup Weekend event. And this was about three and a half years ago. So a couple of years have gone by. It's still noodling on in my head. I got invited to this event to be a mentor. And it turns out as I got the invitation on that Friday night for that weekend, build a company, get a working prototype, get a first paying customer, you might win the city because it was a global event. 
It turns out that I wrote the pitch on a cocktail napkin. I put it in my back pocket and I said, I don't even know if I'm going to pitch this, but I decided to buy the domain name. <laughs> so this is for 12 bucks. I said, lease management made easy. Lease cake. I mean, I love wordplay rhymes with cheesecake. It's a piece of cake. There's so many layers. And I just kind of went for it. And I asked Jim, Hey, I'm going to be at this thing. Is it okay to pitch? And it turns out we ended up winning Orlando. Two weeks later, we won North America. And then three weeks later, we won globally across 58 countries all from this simple cocktail napkin and the idea of lease cake, it's easy to really help landlords and tenants focus on keeping track of lease expirations, renewals, permits, and licenses, everything in business that has a punitive deadline that needs to be tracked that you need to get ahead of is really what we do. And we've been fortunate to really grow and scale the company. We're VC backed, we're early stage, but man, the first couple of years, it was tough, but super exciting with how we started from that cocktail napkin to where we are today. Well, you know, it's funny because when you do rent something, or let's say you're looking at it from the renter's point of view, you think the landlord has everything, all their ducks in a row and everything in perfect order and knows exactly what's going on. And half the time they don't, right? So yeah. we have friends that have rentals and they're like, oh, when a rental changes, like this is a house rental, then you have to get a new certificate of occupancy in this town. Like, sure. who knew? Yep. Right. <laughs> so the irony is, you know, as entrepreneurs, you always have to kind of you know listen and, and the market will take you in different directions. But I always knew that, we were a platform for both sides, for landlords and tenants. And it turns out, and it's great that you bring this up, Elizabeth, because we originally built it for landlords, mm -hmm. but we always thought, and, and that was the vision for this patent pending that we're still going through, is a way to connect tenants with the critical documents that are part and parcel of their lease, right? There's always two parties to a commercial real estate lease. And some of these leases are two years, five years, 30 years, you know, 80 years. And so it's kind of the wild, wild west, but it turns out that more and more often within the first six months of launching, when we showed lease cake to tenant operators, we were talking like law firms and franchisees, Papa John's, you know, Moe's. So there's a whole bunch of areas where they said, man, I need lease cake just as much as the rich landlord. And so from that, it just really reinforced our idea that this was a platform play where if we can build an application that helps both sides of the equation, even though they're completely at odds with each other, tenant operators now represent close to 80, almost 90% of our business, because frankly, that's the big missing part of how business is conducted in this country. Everybody owns or leases commercial real estate. And it turns out 30% of tenants are landlords too in the commercial real estate space. Mm, so you can never really be just one or the other. And landlords typically are the ones that are definitely empowered. They've got the real estate background and the experience. And these tenant operators that are, you know, the mom and pops that say, hey, I want to open up a new Burger King, or I want to open up a new Domino's, or I want to open up a new salon suite. They're looking to really be a part of the economy and build up their own legacy for themselves and their families, right? And then move from one location to five to 10. So that's really the market that we're in. And we're really happy to say that many of our customers have 100 locations, 500 locations. We're selling to franchisors, franchisees, corporate brands as well. I mean, construction companies, luxury retailers, banks, and also private equity. So it's kind of this untapped market, but it doesn't just come from dreaming up, wow, wouldn't it be cool if it is about a problem and asking repetitive questions, say, why, 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 what, what, what? One of the other things I really liked about what you said was that usually the landlords are in the position of power because they know what the real estate market is like. They've been through the process a lot of times. So they know where their advantage is, where their leverage is. They can sort of get the best deal from themselves, maybe a little bit sometimes at the expense of the tenant. And having a product that sort of democratizes that a little bit and allows tenants to foresee and plan and learn enough to make sure that they get the best deal is really an outstanding feature. I think that would be attractive to yeah. a lot of commercial and maybe eventually residential. Have you ever thought about going into the residential market too? It could be kind of a one size fits all. The residential market is, it's a bit of a different animal. There are tons of different players in that space. 
And residential is typically one year lease and it's, you know, it's a showing, it's, it's move in and it's maintenance and then it's move out. And then you kind of have to redo it over and over in commercial real estate. It's, it's kind of the last frontier of innovation. <laughs> I mean, it's very paper-based. It's very either spreadsheet based or legacy software systems that are more purpose built for how can I cram as many tenants into this space, make as much money. It's about a compliance. It's about project management. But on the flip side, tenants are faced with, you know, geez, what other solutions are out there, right? right. Many of right. them are so, trying to use monday.com or Asana or right. Salesforce to get it to work. That was another point I wanted to make is like, we have a bunch of different programs like your law, but I just found a great program that's kind of soup to nuts for our marketing which I'm going to use because I get to use one platform, but I can tell that John has something he wants to say. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's all about, as Taj said, finding, a, identifying a, a need and filling it. So Taj, yeah. was it hard to get all of the programs that you needed into one place? Yes, it was hard, but I think, you know, end of the day, it's dates and dollars and reminders. The complexity was making it simple. Nobody wants difficult anymore. They literally, you know, work off of their mobile device. And so how do you build an application where there's no training manual, right? When was the last time you, you know, you looked up a training manual for LinkedIn or, or setting up your iPhone? That was the complexity, making it really consumer centric design in a way that people immediately get it. And I think that's one of our huge differentiators. It's, you don't need two weeks of training. Where can people find your app and find out more about your company? Go to leasecake.com, choose what is your specific pain point, whether you're a, a tenant, whether you're a tenant rep broker, whether you're looking for new accounting standard solutions that we offer as well. So yeah, leasecake.com. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us, Tajada from Lease Cake and Lease Your Cake, Don't Buy It. That's the moral <laughs> of the story. On that note, we'll be back after this message, Passes to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt coming up right after this. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And we're now on to our fireside presentation. So, so Elizabeth, tell us what's been going on. As you know, if you've listened to the show before, Fireside is a video directory of small businesses that I've been working on for about a year and a half now. And it's coming along. But one interesting thing I've never really talked about that we were talking about during a break was it came to me in a dream. I woke up at four in the morning with the idea in my had. And I, you know, John brought up a really good point about dreaming. Yeah. You got to give yourself space to daydream. Yeah. Matt had a comment on that too. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people work under the assumption that when they're busy, they're being their most productive. And so people often overschedule and overbook. And what we often find uh, when we look into literature, the arts, as well as entrepreneurs, that a lot of the best ideas come to us during downtime. There's a reason why people talked about the muse for so long. It comes to us on a walk or in the shower or late at night or early in the morning. And so it's been really beneficial for people across the board, discovering new insights when they create space for themselves during the day to allow that to happen. Yeah. Does anybody else have any thoughts on daydreaming and downtime? Well, all I could say is I used to spend a lot of time daydreaming and I never got anything done. Just a way for me to procrastinate. It's and a balance, so, me boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it took a yeah. while to learn that, you know, yeah. but it, you're right. Well, I uh, think we have to realize that our unconscious is doing at least half the work that we think we're doing on the surface. In truth, our unconscious is doing a lot of the work and we've got to let that speak to us occasionally. And the only way that kind of comes up to the surface is to quiet down 
a little bit mm-hmm. and, and let that happen. So if you're sleeping, you're driving your car, you're listening to a song, you're on the hammock, you're working. You know, if you're passionate about what you're doing, you're working all the time, even though you might be playing, enjoying yourself, whatever. Yeah, I agree with you, John. And I think a common question that people ask entrepreneurs is like, man, that's such a cool idea. Like, how do I come up with cool ideas? Well, you know, guess what? You got to give yourself some breathing time and connect a lot of random dots, but you've got to listen to the marketplace. You can't just say, man, I think we should do this. It has to be really kind of coming from a true pain point. You're right. Downtime is really, really important because you can't just say, wow, let's let's all get together and, and come up with some really cool idea that'll go viral. It just doesn't happen. Right. Yeah, I must have a lot of great ideas because I've been accused of being unconscious, but maybe for the wrong reasons. I don't know. So yeah, it's time so to go on to our presenters. Yes, I want to move on to Cindy Gellermini, the paint diva. If you've ever walked into someone's house or, or you're looking for a house to buy and you go into an open house and you're like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. How did it get this way? Well, if you're in northern New Jersey, Cindy may have been there. (laughs) So welcome, Cindy. So I'm a color consultant. I'm a Benjamin Moore color expert. And that happened because I was raising four children and I started painting murals and faux finishes in the 90s so that I could make my own schedule and be home when my kids got off the bus. And you're looking at one behind me that I did many years ago. And the faux finishes started going out of style. And I was on a ladder about 24 feet in the air and I almost fell off. And I said, you know what, I'm done with this. (laughs) I've had enough. And I went into the hardware store to buy paint to do a project at home. And I had done murals for all of his kids' rooms. And he said, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just walked in here. I've been looking for a designer to come and work for me uh, and help all these women pick paint colors all day. The guys that work here don't want to deal with that. You know, they just want to mix the paint. They don't want to be held responsible for choosing the wrong color. And I said, sure, that's easy. I don't have to love ladders and paint cans around anymore. All I have to do is pick a color. Easy. And so I just sort of developed this whole space in there and I made him redecorate it a little bit because I told him women are not comfortable in an environment where it's a bunch of contractors coming in to buy paint all day. It has to feel a little bit homier. So, you know, we put up curtains and put a nice table and chairs and made it a nicer environment and people started catching on and they started coming in and I started choosing paint colors for them. And I sort of created my own monster because it got to the point where people would not choose colors without my help. (laughs) And one day a lady walked in and it's kind of a funny story. There was a paint store in another town where the woman was so nasty to all her customers. They called her the paint Nazi. (laughs) (laughs) So one day a woman, after about six months, somebody walked in and she looked at me, she says, oh, so you're the paint diva. And I was like, oh, confused me with somebody else she says no that's paint nazi she's nasty you're the nice one i was like (laughs) okay i said actually i kind of like that it's kind of cute and then they started making up all these names for me i was like the paint whisperer and the paint guru the paint (laughs) doctor because people couldn't understand how i did it you know they how did i make it so easy and i and it's just because of from painting the faux finishes and stuff i had worked with the paints i knew what the what was going to happen with the colors you know, at the time, beige was all the rage. And, you know, I could look at it and say that one's too green. That was too pink. You know, this one is good. But it really all comes down to you have to match your stuff. I mean, to me, it's just common sense. Bring me a cushion off your couch and I'll show you what color goes the best with your couch. You know, it's a process of elimination. And I would pull away all the colors that didn't work. For 11 years, I've been on my own for about five years now. And this has been the busiest year I've ever had because everybody's working from home. And everybody wants to do projects at home and they all want to redo their space. And through that, a lot of clients that I was working for were getting ready to sell their house or they either bought a house. They want to paint the whole place before they move in. They're overwhelmed with choosing one color, let alone choosing every color for the whole house. I get it done in an hour. Boom. I'm out. And because I work with so many buyers, when I work for a seller, I will tell them, I know what all your buyers want. They all want the same thing. They all show me the same stuff and I know what their favorite colors are. So that's what we're going to put in your house. So that's going to appeal to your buyer. And then I kind of got into staging, but this past year I haven't had to stage anything because the market has been so crazy and so hot. So that's really great. I want to ask you a question though, Cindy, is color awareness natural? Is it just something that you're born with? You think, how do you do it? I've learned from someone that there's something called being a tetrachromat. I think I'm saying the right word where you have an extra cone in the shape of your eye, right? And some people can see colors better than others. And I've learned that a lot of men are a little colorblind. 
they don't want to admit it, but they kind of are, you know, so when I'm choosing colors and I'm looking at, you know, 20 shades of gray and I'll tell, and, you know, say this one's a little purple, it's a little green. Usually the husband's like, I don't even see that. I don't even know what you're talking about. They all look the same to me and they walk away. <laughs> I do want to compliment your wall behind you though, because this has been the past year when I do an office, I do it differently. Now I don't match your couch. Now I, we walk in the bathroom and look in the mirror and I choose what color makes you look best on a zoom call. That's very smart. Well, thanks yeah. for the compliment on the color. It was actually my daughter and I, and our family used to go to a certain seafood restaurant and we sort of ripped off the colors from them and so she actually ended up this is one of the colors and that's how we got it so yeah good branding yeah and then I, I ended up getting my real estate license too because so many of my clients would say oh just so you know we're getting ready to put our house in the market in the next year so I did that for about five years but I it just it was not for me and I wish I had an app that could have helped me because trying to juggle both of those businesses at the same time was just too overwhelming. And a year ago, I said something needs to go. And I gave up my real estate license just to focus on doing my paint dealer work. And then I ended up writing a children's book series and illustrating it. And I didn't know that that would also turn into sort of a full-time job now with doing podcasts. And I created my own podcast now focusing on autism. And so, yeah. What's the name of your children's books? Robbie's World and His Spectrum of Adventures. It's stories from when my son was a little boy. And at the end of every chapter is a mom's minute where I address the adults because I know that a lot of parents and teachers will read it to their kids. And so each chapter tells a, uh, you know, a funny story about how when I was the brownie leader, I turned around and he was gone and he had run off and I found him in the brook, you know, splashing in the brook. And then I explain in the mom's minute that that's called eloping. Uh, they're usually fascinated with the water. It's very important for them to learn how to swim at an early age, things like that. So there's 12 chapters all together. And I painted the illustrations because I'm not a computer person at all. I'm not good with the graphics on the computer. What I know is paint. So I painted 340 illustrations. And because who knew that we were going to go into lockdown, right? You know, two months, I had all these paintings spread out on my dining room table and I, and I did them all. And my son passed away three years ago. So it's all in memory. Oh. It, it's in his memory. But as I was doing it, I realized what a great teaching tool this is for teachers to use in their classroom because inclusion is big now. You know, my son went to school for all autistic kids, but now they keep them in public schools. So my hope is that the neurotypical children, when the teacher reads it, they'll fall in love with Robbie the Penguin. And then if they see a fellow student who's maybe stimming or rocking, and instead of the kids saying, oh, that's weird, they'll say, oh, I get it. He's just like Robbie the Penguin. Yeah, I think it's good you got out of selling houses because honestly, there aren't that many good color people and there aren't that many people that could take autism and turn it into books like you've done. They're two totally unrelated things, but somehow every time I do a podcast, I hit on both subjects somehow. Good for you. So Tosh, did you have a question or comment? Yeah, I was uh, really intrigued, Cindy. Fantastic that you you've nailed your market and it's a very needed solution for sure. My curiosity is, is your model to kind of scale up the Paint Diva business, try to find other, what is it called? Tetrachromatic people, put your little footprint in, you know, multiple Benjamin Moore stores. I have two ideas. I mean, I've been working on a book for four years on how to choose paint colors for every room in your house, because I keep using yeah. the same speeches and the same method that I kind of came up with over and over again. And I finally figured out how to put it into a book without being brand specific. And just using that common sense, you know, match your couch, match that, you know, I mean, it's not going to help with someone that's colorblind, but maybe they can ask someone else in the family, hey, take a look at this and tell me which color looks the best. I mean, a book like that could be in Home Depot, Lowe's, every store that sells paint, you know, Sherwin Williams, Benjamin Moore. I mean, the potential is huge. And then I also thought about training and teaching other people how to be color consultants like I am and just use all the knowledge that I have and teach. That's a whole lot of work. That sounds wow. great. Cindy, it's just been wonderful talking to you. So what's the best place for people to find you? I'm on Instagram as the Paint Diva and Facebook. And then if they want to see my podcast and buy the books and everything, I have an, a website. It's Robbie's World Book. Com, and that is the link to the books, the podcast. Excellent. Well, listeners, you are listening to Passage to Profit, the inventor's show on WOR 710, the voice of New York with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We'll be right back. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearhart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearhartLaw.com. At Gearhart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trade 
trademark and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. If you've missed the show, podcast will be out tomorrow on all the major podcast sites. And you can also see everybody on our YouTube channel, which is Passage to Profit Show. But now I want to introduce somebody that I had just a fabulous conversation with a few months ago, Matt Strandberg. He's really helping people live their best lives. So welcome, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Tell us what your approach is and how you help. I'm a strength and conditioning coach, as well as a registered dietitian. And I founded Matt Strandberg Consulting many years ago. And the reason why I founded this consulting practice was because over the course of my career, I had worked with lots of different people ranging from elite level athletes to D1 athletes, as well as your average weekend warrior, your business executive. And what I found was there were lots of different strategies for success, but a lot of times people would try to employ a strategy for success and find that they would find themselves self-sabotaging. And so I often would think about this. And what I found was that most people are often overloaded with information about food and exercise, but often struggle to find the wisdom needed to nurture these relationships. So finding that wisdom that we're talking about has been my mission for the last 10 years. And I've put in thousands of hours studying and training and practicing. So that way my clients don't have to. And really the purpose of my sessions with my clients is to equip them with the skills and the mindset needed to filter out the noise, build that confidence needed to master the art and science of you know, the nutrition aspects, as well as exercise and physical activity and overall holistic wellness. And we do this by jointly developing sustainable solutions together. That's great. So how long do you typically work with a client? Is it a long-term engagement or is it shorter or what's sort of the sweet spot for that? Yeah, it really depends on individual and what they're hoping for. So some people uh, will enter with a high level of development and they're just having difficulty troubleshooting a very particular context or a very particular problem. And so that might be like, three to six sessions where we're doing a very thorough assessment and then we're addressing it collaboratively together to target certain areas and explore different tools or frameworks. And then, you know, the end goal is really that they look me in the eye and say, hey, you know, I got this from here. Thank you so much. I feel confident taking this here on out. That being said, lots of people come with more complicated challenges because what we often find with food and physical activity is that it appears simple on the surface, but often intersects with so many different aspects of our lives. And so in those instances, uh, it might be on a little bit more long-term basis because what we're doing is we're really getting in there to understand the underlying frameworks that have developed so many years in relation to how people conceptualize, experience, and navigate food and physical activity and their health and wellness. And then throughout that process, we're maybe deconstructing some of the unhelpful or dysfunctional patterns and then collaborating to cultivate that new framework. And that will vary from individual to individual. It could be a couple months or years, depending on the situation. But regardless, the end goal is always the same, that the person leaves saying, you know what, I got this. This is sustainable and adaptable. I think maybe Matthew is also uh, uses hunches. I think when you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you evaluate one of your clients, you're probably sort of thinking of a framework as to what's going on with this guy or gal's oh, totally. life and, and, and connecting that together. That, that's sort of the other thing other than daydreams is, is what I call hunches, which are strong indicators of going one direction or another. And it requires the experience that Matthew has to really lock into that. Yeah, totally. And so maybe like another word for hunches that might resonate with some of the people here is intuition. So oftentimes when people think about, you know, intuition, they think about this natural body wisdom or something that comes to them. And although that might be the case for certain individuals, from my experience, what I have often found is that intuition really is exemplified in the development of patterns over time, like you said, through practice and being really intentional in terms of tuning into those patterns. And with mentorship in the right environment, you begin to develop better and better intuition and you 
quote, can have those hunches, which are essentially heuristics or educated guesses. And the more you practice, the more it integrates on a deeper level, the better you're able to just reflexively or intuitively have a hunch of what's going on. And, and this is actually the process that I aim to work with in terms of clients. People often look at other individuals and they go, why does that person just eat without stress or anxiety? They make it look so easy. And, and that's actually one of the sad parts of our society is people think it just comes naturally. However, in many of those instances, those people have practice in the right environment and have access to the individuals that help them model those relationships. And so it does look like it's just a reflexive process, but you can develop that art form in terms of the hunch or the intuition. So that way you can reflexively and intuitively navigate these environments without having to whip out the calculator, the spreadsheets, or, you know, to sit there and go to your diet book. That's really the overall goal is that people can use intuition or those hunches on a day-to-day -day basis. So that way it's just more fluid and streamlined and much more enjoyable. And actually what the pandemic has revealed is that many people have often developed like I would call like a system of navigation that has worked and helped them traverse various landscapes for an extended period of time. However, with the pandemic, there's been such a change across the board in terms of these landscapes. And so oftentimes people had dietary patterns or exercise patterns or ways of approaching health and wellness that was working for a while. And they're using that same navigation system in this new environment and they're starting to get lost or they find that they're coming back to the same barriers or challenges. So a big part of this process is helping people quote unquote, update their navigation system and work together to essentially extract and identify the things that are functional and really helpful in their day-to-day -day life and aligns with their overall values and their goals and is sustainable and adaptable and then identify the things in the navigation system that are dysfunctional and leading back to those forms of self-sabotage or those roadblocks. And the goal is that even if there's another pandemic or whatever comes your way, that new framework, that new navigation system will, just like a GPS, will be able to identify, oh, this path is now blocked. However, this is another feasible route. And that way people are able to adapt as opposed to saying, this is the only route I know. And so I guess I have to deal with traffic jams and roadblocks for the next couple of years. Let's all be as healthy as we possibly can. And I, it sounds like can... Matt has a unique approach. Lots of times there are trainers focus on exercise or there's dietitians focusing on diet, but really it's a combination of those two together and understanding that. I think that would help a lot of people achieve their goals. Right. So you can find Matt at mattstrandbergconsulting.com, spelled just the way it sounds. So listeners, you're listening to WOR 710, The Voice of New York, Passage to Profit, The Inventor Show with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And we'll be right back. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company, company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. So welcome back, listeners. My name is Kenya Gibson, a.k.a. The Media Maven, and I'm here with Richard. Good to see you again, Kenya. Yes, we're back for IP we success are. stories. And this is actually a story kind of like how to avoid being a failure, which I, I guess is success, but it's all about a client who came to me after he had purchased a furniture store in New Jersey, and he spent $3 million for the store, and the person he bought it from was really old school. They never had a website, no social media. They've been there for 30 years. They had a great reputation in the community as being a great store, and the owner retired. Our client bought the store, but they never did a trademark search mm. before they bought the store. So the first thing that our client did was they put up a website. 
and you'll never guess what happened. They got pinched. (laughs) They got pinched, right. (laughs) They got a cease and desist letter, and it turns out that another company, another furniture store in Maryland, had used exactly the same name, and they filed a trademark on it a long, long time ago. And so they had superior rights to even the client who bought the store, even though it was 30 years old. It's crazy. And he paid $3 million, about $3 million for the store. Right. And what would it have cost him if he would have did a trademark search? Maybe $700, maybe $1,000. But he didn't. The lawyer that he was working with in the transaction didn't check that box, I guess. Minor detail. Minor detail. And he ended up getting the cease and desist letter as soon as he put up the website. Because I guess the other owner, he didn't know that our client store was even out there. But when the client put up a website, the other person found it. Bam, cease and desist letter. So what what ended up happening? Did he have to change the name? We went back and forth and we negotiated a settlement. He fortunately did not end up getting sued. So we did a great job of at least keeping him out of court. But he ended up paying a big chunk of money a large percentage of the value that he paid for that store because he needed to keep the name. The business thrived because people knew of that store and they knew of the reputation and the service. And if he had had changed the name, all of that investment of 30 years would have been gone. Mm. Uh, And so he ended up paying the trademark owner in Maryland uh, a really, you know, hefty sum. And I guess uh, he learned his lesson. So. Well, I mean, I, how often does that happen? Probably more than we think it does, where people just jump out the window with a name and don't do that, the due diligence. One of the hardest things, though, is when you have a client who has a new project, they have a name and they're just so attached to the name. They become infatuated with the name of their business. that They don't want to let it go. And then they take crazy risks. They, their name is a little bit different than another registration. Mm-hmm. And you tell them, no, don't do it. They do it anyway. And, and the, <laughs> you take a big risk because lots of times you get into big trouble. Sure, sure. And it's just not worth it in the long run. It's not. It's really not. And sometimes it's better just to try a different name. And there's lots of names out there that are available. Or call you. Or call us. <laughs> we'll get you through the process. www.gearheartlaw.com or you can just call. It's 908-273-0700. Check us out and we can at least get you started on the right track. There you go. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. And we've had just a fabulous show. If you missed it, go check out our podcast tomorrow, Passage to Profit show. Go to our YouTube channel. But now I'm going to tell you a little bit about what you missed if you did miss it or what you heard if you were here. So we had Hugh Carricker and John Marr. They talked about their documentary, All Things Bakelite. And you can find that at allthingsbakelite.com. The origin of plastic and what it's doing in our lives now. And then we had Taj Ada with Lease Cake. So if you are a commercial property owner or renter, you need Lease Cake. It's amazing this hasn't existed till now. Quite Why didn't honestly. I think of that? <laughs> right. I wasn't it's, dreaming the right it, way. It helps you keep track of everything. That's and, right. And it's simple to use, which is so important. You can find that at leasecake.com. And then we had Cindy Gellarmini, the paint diva, who's doing just a number of really cool things right now. She can help you find the right colors for your house. 
She's also got a wonderful children's book series. And she's got a lot of extra cones and biological things in her <laughs> eyes that help her really do well with colors. So. so you can find her at thepaintdivanj.com. And then from there, you can find her children's books and find out more about her. And then finally, we had Matt Strandberg, who takes a holistic approach to your health with you so that after you work with him, you feel a lot better. <laughs> and <laughs> Which is the point. Yes, you can find him at Matt Strandberg consulting.com. We want to thank the whole iHeart team who makes this possible. Noah Fleischman, our producer, program coordinator, Alicia Morrissey, and finally our video editor, Chatterboss. So thanks everybody for joining us. Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. 